Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Katie and Stephanie. The dark is often painted to be frightening and foreign and full of strange things. Don't forget that you were forged in the darkness of the womb. Don't forget that in the darkness of the cocoon, a transformation takes place. Don't forget the intimacy and sweetness of meeting a lover in the dark. The darkness holds power. The world fades away. You can dive into yourself and focus on this moment. To birth your baby, you will journey into the darkness, dear one. But don't be afraid. You have everything you need to bring your baby back into the light. Um, I wrote that, um, those words... Because I had a birth that was really beautiful, and she spent a lot of time in like full darkness. She wanted all the light gone. She wanted um, this really dark room. And I remember one of the midwives was like, oh, it's kind of creepy. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> and I was just like, why? And I had this kind of this moment, because I have always loved the dark. I don't know what it is. I just am just odd in a lot of ways, I think. But I've always enjoyed nighttime. I grew up, um, at least my teenage years, we were in like a small mountain city that doesn't have street lamps or stores or anything. And you could see the stars really well. I would go out a lot and just lay on our tramp or lay on one of the cars and just stare up at the sky. And maybe part of that appreciation came from having a lot of siblings and a lot of noise. So it was kind of um, rare for me to have quiet. Um, So I'd run out and I'd seek it in the darkness. And um, at this birth, I just kind of got me thinking about how we have this whole like view of dark as this sinister thing, right? It's like this negative thing. And like, I, I was just thinking, okay, for me, like it feels like solace and it feels like um, peace But I know a lot of people get immediately when it gets dark and quiet, their brain starts ticking and they start to think, they start to feel unsafe. Do you feel like, like, where would you fall on that scale, Stephanie? I've been thinking about it as you were talking and I'm like, as a kid, how was I with the dark? And I I guess probably just somewhere in the middle. I don't think I was particularly fearful of the dark. I don't remember any big dramatic things where I had to have nightlights or anything like that. So, but I also don't necessarily remember feeling particularly fond of it in the same way that you're describing. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think that everybody kind of has their own thing, but Mm -hmm. I think what I like, what I was thinking about when I was, she was doing that, that she felt so safe and so secluded. Mm. And we know that that is all a recipe for birth moving, right? In that every if, way. In every way. If you can yeah. feel safe and secure. They always, one of the comparisons that I use in this text is meeting a lover in the dark. And this um, comparison is used in birth sometimes where you think, okay, would I be able to conceive the baby if there was someone telling me how to move and what position to be in? Would I be able to conceive a baby <laughs> if there was someone who was monitoring my body? With these bright lights, like, shining on you mm-hmm. in the middle like of right a busy room. Like, right on your vagina, yeah. like, while business is going mm-hmm. on, just to make sure that And then everybody right. telling you, like, go ahead, get in the mood, go ahead, mm-hmm. you're good. Push. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thrust. Great. Good job. <laughs> Why don't you have a breast right there? That'll work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you had someone, if you had people over you pointing out things, that would be hard. But then you add the factor that those people, if they were strangers, 
And they were the ones. Because I mean, if you had a trusted person who was maybe guiding you through this conception, I could say maybe if I, like, I could see that being a tradition in some country where you had some wise person who helped you to kind of like do this conceiving ritual. Mm-hmm. Like I could see that being a thing. Totally. Yeah. But it would have to be a very trusted, respected person that you felt really safe with to allow them into that space. But I think like as a general rule or standard, you Mm -hmm. know, most people really value the privacy, the seclusion, the low lights, the, just the intimacy of, of that experience. Exactly. And like, that's why there's, there can be some, there's a beauty of meeting in the dark because you just have like your, some of your senses are turned down, right? You're able to not not use your eyes. We talked about this in another episode too a little bit, but not use your ears, not use your other senses and just focus on what it feels like to touch. Well, this is something I can speak to for me because as an adult, I have since learned um, that I am, you know, highly sensitive. I didn't know that was a term or that there was like a spectrum of, of that. And um, I do remember being very obsessive about lighting, mm-hmm. <laughs> even as a young person, um, even more so though, as an adult with children in my home because I'm constantly overstimulated. And so one way that I feel like I can balance it out is through lighting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have to have like a lot of lamps and I almost never have my overhead lights on. They're just pretty much across the board too bright in every home I'm ever in. Yeah. Here in our office, our wellness center, we have sliders or dimmers, you know, on every light because I can't do the full brightness. I, I can. I don't mean to like disempower myself, but it comes at a cost. It stimulates me incredibly to have full bright lights. So thinking about like obstetric lights is to me the quintessential opposite of what I would want to fill mm-hmm. in my birth experience. Of course, sometimes they're necessary, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody particularly wants them. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll even notice in, in hospitals with midwives, a lot of times midwives will be like, I don't need that. Don't turn on those Isn't that the best? things. Or like, like those <laughs> midwives that pack like the, head, what are those called? Headlamps. Headlamps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always love that. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll work around whatever you got going in the room. <laughs> yeah. No, I love when they do that. Yeah. Um, but just remembering that like you bought, there's the phrase like what got the baby in, we'll get the baby out. And embracing that sometimes seclusion and darkness can be beautiful parts of your birth story. And, um, I have this one client where she told me before, like she was having a lot of people at her birth, like both of her sisters and her mother and her mother-in-law, um, and her photographer and me and her midwife. And it's just like, (laughs) and then her three children. So it's just like a large group. And she liked that surrounded by women, but she's like, actually, I think that the part of me really will want some moments where I can just hide. So there was this one moment I remember when she was starting to feel big and I was like, do you want to go hide in the toilet? <laughs> She's like, yes. <laughs> so I turned the lights off and when she hid there and then she came out, jumped in the tub and pushed out a baby. It was really cool because mm. she kind of did her own little quiet transition and I was able to kind of stand guardy and people would come and be like, oh, is she in there? I'd be like, yeah, she just needs a minute. Like Give her we're, we're giving her a minute. Yeah. Um, and she'll let us know. Like if she needs us and she's ready to come out, she'll come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think that it's really beautiful to think about all the things that happen, that can happen in the dark, right? And that do happen Mm. in the dark. And to kind of teach ourselves that maybe that fearfulness towards the dark is not the dark itself. Like a lot of people will feel like the dark is dangerous or the minute it becomes dark, where does your mind go? Like you, when all of the other senses are turned off and it's dark, but you're still awake and alert, 
what does your mind do? Like that's something to get curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter where you're at in your life, right? It doesn't matter um, to sit down and just say, okay, my mind, I'm a planner, so I'll have ideas. I'll just have like, I'll think about projects I have going on. That's like kind of in the dark. I feel like I do a really good job processing when I'm actually able to sit and the lights are off and my brain can just kind of run. Um, I've also through birth learned a lot of mindfulness things and meditation things. And often when in the dark, I automatically get a little slower and I'll automatically slow my breath down and just trying to kind of be in the moment. Um, and those are things like that I've learned with time. Um, I remember one time when I was a teenager though, that nobody was home and that never, ever, ever happened (laughs) (laughs) that no one was home, but me. Um, and I was sitting and I remember having this weird insecurity feeling just hit. Mm. And I went around my house and flipped on like every light in the whole home. I sat myself in like this spot that could see all entrances and exits for whatever reason. I remember just having this weird like need for security um, in that moment. And I think some people do do that, that when it gets dark, that suddenly they start to feel unsafe. Mm. Um, So I would challenge you to kind of think about where that comes from if that's you. If you feel like when you're alone and it's dark, that suddenly you think about, oh, there are burglars in the world, or, oh, what if someone comes to my home, or, oh, what if something happens? Um, Mm -hmm. That when, because that does, and that gets never happened to me. I've definitely had those moments where I watch some, I'm very sensitive to, to any sort of film or anything that's like high suspense or horror, like leave me alone with that stuff. I can be a grown woman that's still afraid if I watch like (laughs) scary I can't, I don't know if I just can't separate it or what. I just hate that feeling and I hate that, that space. I don't want to be in it. So if I've watched anything and becoming a mother amplified it. I I was just just going to say that, Katie. I was like, did you know that that was a phenomenon that kicked in after having a baby? Yeah. So it's same for you. Mm -hmm. Not a phenomenon, but just to go from where I felt like I could tolerate Mm -hmm. most movies. And then after having my first baby, I am so sensitive to what I watch and I will lose sleep if I'm not careful. So Mm -hmm. how how interesting. I feel like horror stuff, like scary movies, I never have liked them. I Same. didn't like yeah. them before, but I used to love like crime stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, even like SVU, like uh, what's that a special victims unit? For oh, Long okay. Order, okay. Where they, um, it's like topics about rape and about oh, like, I can't. Crimes Those are the, women. the worst to me now. And I remember I used to be like fascinated by it for mm-hmm. some reason. And after I had a child, after I had my first baby, I remember I was watching something and there was some topic of like child abduction. And I was like, <gasps> Like it's I felt so my deep. chest like compress and yeah. just like, I can't even dive into a storyline. I have that a theory. Right I have a theory. I have thought a lot about this because it's okay. like, what, what changes in us? But I, I think it's a resensitization. Like what if that regular life has this effect on us that we, we do become desensitized mm-hmm. and that we can watch these like terrible crime thrillers and be entertained by murder and abduction and rape and death and all these things. But maybe after having a baby, some people experience like the slate has just been washed clean and all of those layers of desensitization are just stripped away. And what if that's all it is? It's Mm. not that something has been added, but more like something's been removed and we just see the trauma of that abduction for what it is. Yeah. And it does not entertain us. Yeah. It traumatizes us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a fascinating phenomenon for sure that I don't think is unique to just you and I. No, I don't think so either. It was, and it was very stark. Like, yeah. 
Same. I remember watching something that, that would have been fine before and just being like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. And after those sort of things, I learned that quickly. You'd have like, I'd wake up and just be like, it's really dark and it's really, especially if like my husband was out of the home and I'm just like, he's off doing something and I just walk around the house and just be like, what if, and your brain, my brain starts to wander. So it's not like I'm immune to that. I've definitely been there, mm-hmm. but just reminding that that is our brain is the place we live. And if that's kind of like your default, your default is fear. And that kind of becomes, um, like, uh, there's the word, I don't know words that becomes emphasized when it gets dark and when you're alone, like what is, what does your brain do when you're not distracting it? What does your brain do when it's not focusing on all your other senses, when it has to just be quiet for a second in the dark where there's nobody and does, do you connect like that darkness with it? Cause I really think a lot of powerful, beautiful things can happen in the dark and to pull some mysticism in here. So I went, of course, to look through some of um, the mythology and see what sort of gods and goddesses darkness was connected to. Mm. And um, one of the ones that pulled up that caught my eye was one named Nyx, N-Y-X. And she is the goddess of darkness from Greek mythology. And there's not a ton of stories about her. But one of the stories that is told, um, her son, who's chaos, does something in Zeus's kingdom and um, kind of incurs the wrath of Zeus. And Zeus goes to punish him, and he quickly runs off to his mother to Nyx, hmm. and Zeus doesn't dare to follow. And Zeus is king of the gods. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, all right. Like, That's power right she's there. She's a powerful woman, right? Yeah. And, and maybe he is afraid of the dark or afraid of what he would face yeah. in the darkness, right? Well, I because that. as I, That's one of the things I like about the Greek gods and goddesses is because they were so human. They were so <laughs> full Absolutely. of failures and you learn about like they're, they were very jealous and very, just very human. <laughs> Whereas in some cultures, they paint gods as these kind of perfection beings, Infallible. right? Infallible and um, could never make a mistake. Perfect, right? Mm-hmm. So I like that about the Greek gods. And I thought that was kind of a cool tribute to her to say, if you're ready to face the darkness, then you have nothing mm. to fear if you go into her kingdom. Well, you have my mind thinking now too. Uh, in in yogic terms, I believe it was Paramahansa Yogananda that that I learned this from. He wrote a book called The Second Coming of Christ, mm-hmm. and it's a really fascinating book because he's this Eastern guru who essentially takes you through the, the New Testament through his lens. Okay. So it's an Eastern mind reading this like westernized text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so instead of seeing everything as this literal thing, he always has this fascinating like here's the metaphor of what that represents, right? So he talks about the wilderness a lot. He says whenever there's a reference to like the darkness or the wilderness in in the scriptures, that that is a reference to the third eye in yogic culture. And so he, he, he basically says that the third eye, or you could say the sixth chakra, is very symbolic of the journey to, to discover truth. And it's typically in the context of like having to go into a dark place, into the wild, into like, it's basically off the beaten path. And I, now I'm like seeing like such a strong connection between this idea of Nyx and 
the goddess of darkness and then and interesting that it's feminine that mm-hmm. it is a goddess that rules darkness which i love um but then this other eastern tradition of in order to know truth because th- that's the sixth chakra is very much about what is reality as opposed to all of the delusions that life kind of puts upon us the sixth eye is about like cutting through that and seeing things for what they really are and you would think that that would be associated with light mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it can definitely be quite the opposite where it's through the darkness we come to know what is real i was just going to say that's kind of leading into where a place that i want to go is that I think, so have you ever been in like a room that's like dimly lit and your windows are all closed or you don't, don't have any room and then you go outside and it's like blaring sunlight. Yeah. And while you're in the room, you think, I can see everything clearly. Right. I have, I have plenty of light here. And then you go outside and you see the full spectrum of light. Or if you're in a dark room and you go in the light and it's only through that contrast that we even know the mm. light. So that's why I love like the idea for birth and in life in general that that darkness is not something, even it's like darkness of the soul, right? If you yeah. have really difficult times you're going through or just phases where it just feel, you feel a little lost, right? Mm-hmm. That those times are the ones that help you to recognize the intensity of the light. Because if we were always in the light, we would not know how light it was. We would not know how beautiful it was. Or we could be living in very dim light yeah. if we didn't have the dark to contrast and the light to contrast this is, and think that this we were is seeing so clearly. This yang and like solar lunar, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And um, just going along with that, it's kind of that principle of like you hear about the tree, like the that parable of the two trees and the one tree was uh, growing in a place that was in high winds. And so it experienced a lot of wind, even when it was growing. So it grew kind of crooked and funky. Hmm. And it grew in an odd direction to kind of adjust to this difficulty, this wind that it was forced to face, its entire growing phase. And there's another tree who was parked in this nice little area that did not have very much wind. And it grew straight as a rod and so tall and looked so proud and so good. Um, and then this hurricane comes along and the tree that was crooked and to the side and maybe not as tall, um, weathered this storm, but the straight perfect tree did not because the weathered tree had been forced to grow downward. This opposition had forced this tree Mm. to grow roots, to grow deep, to discover what's also down in the earth. Right. Yeah. And the tree that had never experienced opposition just grew up and had never kind of developed that. So a reminder, people will kind of say after, maybe after traumatic birth or in general, they'll have this idea of how this birth needs to go in order for it to be good or in order for it to be positive. And it's all light and happy things, right? Yes. And it's all smooth and easy. And, um, And it's this, this step-by-step, I'm just going to have this birth and it'll be easy because I believe and the ease and will be the beauty that heals me. Um, but I've found that some of the most transformative, powerful births that I have been to that are healing after deep trauma are not always the smooth ones. And some of them do go smooth and like good for you if that's what happens. But some of them are, they have definitely their weaves and their darkness and their moments of despair and, and things that don't go according to plan. But I found that a lot of the women who are heading after difficulty into a birth they want to be healing, they know that. They know that they can weather that, right? They've been through harder. And the thing that makes it beautiful is stepping past each of those things as it comes. 
And so that for me is like a reminder of the darkness. If you had this easy life, if you had this simple life where nothing ever went wrong, how boring is that? Like, <laughs> that sounds so silly to say, no, but you I get don't, it. I don't think you understand, like the, the depths are what create the highs. Like you said, with the yin and the yang, that yeah. if you, if you've experienced difficulty, if you've experienced things that, um, have been uncomfortable or hard, um, if you face your own demons, right. A lot of your own self, um, limiting beliefs and your own, imperfections of your parents if you start to wrestle those monsters um, to try and figure yourself out. It doesn't have to be like things happening to you negatively, but as you just weather life, that through that dive into the dark, that it makes the light more beautiful and more light. This is what we would call the integration of the shadow side, right? And what's so interesting is I think that we, for sure, I felt like I was raised in a culture of like an obsession with, with light and goodness and, and purity and, and all the things that are good. Mm. Right. And, and then putting on the other side, all the things that are bad and evil and, and scary and dark on the other side. And we're supposed to avoid those ones and, you know, strive for these ones over here. And, and I think what that ends up doing is creating a strong disconnect between the light and dark, which, inadvertently amplifies the the dark and makes them more powerful than we are, right? Mm. And I think this is where a lot of addictions come from because we are humans and we actually need both light and dark to be balanced and integrated as functional humans. And when you try to cut them out, it creates very stark imbalance. Uh, one of my favorite examples of that is the classic Jekyll and Hyde story. Um, I love musical theater. And when I was a young teenager, I just was obsessed with the the Broadway version of Jekyll and Hyde. And there's this song called Confrontation where Jekyll has already taken his little potion. I'm sure you know the, the, mm-hmm. the basic premise of yes. the story. Um, and he's such a good doctor and his, his motives are so pure and altruistic. He just wants to rid the world of evil, right? It's yeah. such a good cause. <laughs> um, and he takes his concoction and by the end of the play because he was trying to separate the light and the dark the good and the bad he inadvertently created a monster that was more powerful than his good Mm -hmm. and that song I mean it just impressed me from an acting perspective of how he could be both characters back and forth back and forth But I realize now that I think I was obsessed for deeper reasons too. I think I was very compelled by the story itself of this struggle between his good side and his bad side, vying for who's more powerful, who's going to win at the end of the day. Mm. I hope you know how it ends because it doesn't end well because he didn't know that you could integrate your shadow side. Yeah. You know, and I think that's like the Western tale. Like we're, we're always trying to like, dumb not dumb down but numb down the symptoms of of the dark and so I I just love this whole topic because I have found in birth work for example more specifically that we are so much more effective preparing our clients for an integrated birth experience as opposed to a like idealized yeah an idealized that's a great word 
And so instead of saying, yeah, let's think about all the positive things that are going to happen at your birth, which I think there's a place for that. I think positive affirmations are a wonderful tool. Brainstorming and writing out your ideal birth plan is so helpful. And then you need to also talk about what are all the things that you don't want to happen? What are the things you're most afraid of? What would you say is like worst case scenario? What would that look like? And let's actually spend even just five minutes creating a plan for that Mm. so that you are not caught off guard when some of those dark prickly things come up in your birth experience. And then we've empowered our clients to be able to integrate the good and the bad, even though I probably wouldn't put those labels on it. I like light and dark a little better, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's no judgment about those things. Yes. Maybe the easy and the hard or, Mm -hmm. you know, the soft and the rough. And how empowering for anybody to say, wow, I can go through that experience and come out on the other side and still feel peaceful, even feel empowered. And if I can do it in birth, I can do it in every area of my life. Because by the way, that's how life is. There's never a way to escape the darkness. It's just part of our existence. experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I read lately this definition of the word sin and instead of sin being like this offense to goodness, um, reading about it as being a thing that's holding me back. And I I love that that definition. Like I sat and stared at it for a minute. It was just like, that rings so true to me that uh, those things are not bad inherently. They're just things that are keeping us from realizing some of our potential. They're things that are holding us back. I thought that was really beautiful to say that like we we classify those things in religion as like sin is just like yucky and awful and I can't believe you did that but it's like no yeah. we're all humans and we all have things that are holding us back mm-hmm. and there's a long list <laughs> and we all have some of our favorites yeah and just recognizing that there are our own personal dark that we're going to be walking through and that the point of it is not to rid ourselves of it but just to to walk with it and to learn to what, why is the reason that I grab this thing that's holding me back? What is like the underlying cause mm-hmm. of this, um, this distraction or this, whatever it may be that's holding you back in your life? And yeah. how can I slowly try and, and maybe become more balanced and not have to always run mm-hmm. to things to help me to feel, to, to feel alive or to feel whatever we're grasping for when we do, do go for those things or to hide. Yeah. Um, or whatever reasons pull us there. But have you ever thought about how much time we as humans spend laying down in the dark? It's like half of our life, probably. Maybe a third, How you know, if you break down the day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... I think it's like if you live to be... What was it? I, I had the math done for me recently. Really? Um, I read a book called... It was actually a book about Alzheimer's. But she talked about mm. how sleep is actually one of the biggest things you can do to prevent Alzheimer's, which is oh, wow. really cool. Yeah. Um, because all our sleep clears things out of our brain. And if we don't sleep enough, those things build up. They're called amyloid plaques. Oh, my gosh. And if they build up, then you hit a certain threshold. And that threshold puts you into Alzheimer's. Oh, my and gosh. And sleep is like a excavation. Wow. And, yeah. But she does the math of like your life. And if you slept what you should be sleeping, which is like eight and a half hours a night, um, even nine. Yeah. Um, minimum of seven and a half for the excavation to happen. Yeah. Um, that I think I'm doing 26 years of your life. If oh you my live, gosh. If I you love live hearing to be that. like 80. That is so significant. Yeah. And, and yet 
think about postpartum for a minute and how little sleep we get, <laughs> right? And yep. then what's what's like the, the byproduct of that? How do we feel? Crazy, like <laughs> legitimately crazy. I remember like losing my mind mm-hmm. because of lack of sleep. Yeah. And it, if we cannot go through the REM cycle and like you said, reset everything that we've built up in the brain, we start to not function anymore. And so I think that that's another way that we see how much darkness is actually part of an integrated life. Yeah. In a very like literal, like physiological way. We just have to be able to close our eyes, lay in bed for nine hours a night Mm -hmm. in the dark. (laughs) And that's, what's going to make for a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And you think about like the delicate balance that is our earth and and at what like the all the things that had to come in perfectly to have these conditions for us to even exist is amazing to think about and a part of us existing is light and dark that every Mm -hmm. day there is light and dark there is winter and summer and we have this cyclical that we're actually cyclical beings and the modern the modern um message is just like hustle all the time you should always be on always be a hundred percent and I think that call to darkness is also a call to rest. It's the call, like you said, to integrate. Mm-hmm. And it's a call to to give ourselves the space and the grace to rest and mm. to, to lay our heads down, to lay our hearts down, and just to be quietly and to, to give ourselves that space. Because um, everything's so go, go, go. Like everything's yeah. so get out of here, be busy, all the technology and and all the things that are going on and like there's a huge rise in like anxiety and depression. And I, I can't help but wonder if one of the contributing factors is that we don't have that dark. We don't have the quiet. We don't have that integration times because most people, the last thing they do in the day is they look at their phone. And the first thing they do in the morning is they look yeah, at their phone. Which just stimulates that pineal gland. And mm-hmm. then it affects the whole production of, um, well, serotonin, but what's the other one? melatonin you yes. know that helps us mm-hmm. get the sleep that we need and yeah and the blue lights just that we mm-hmm. we are constantly watch tv in the evening and our bodies are just thrown so out of rhythm so i would invite you if whenever you are in your life but especially if you're pregnant to give yourself some time alone in the dark mm-hmm. and that was one of my rituals when i was preparing for my third birth and that's the the beautiful thing i was going the last little tidbit about nyx the goddess of dark is that one of the myths, um, one of the consistent things in all the texts was that she did not, she is not the goddess of creation, but she had to be present at the beginning of creation. Ooh. And I love that that's, that's part of like, when you go back to like creating a baby or like that there's all this darkness, but that you have to have the still, the quiet, the depth, the dark in order for creation, inspiration, growth, for any of those things to instigate and so as you're pregnant and as you're trying to figure out what's the right for my birth plan or how do I approach this with my partner or as you're trying to just figure out how to connect with your own body and intuition, one of the ways that you're going to do that and you're going to create ideas and, and have the power and the, the momentum to initiate is giving yourself that time just alone with yourself and your breath, like that intentional time where I'm going to sit down, I'm going to turn off all the lights, I'm not going to bring my phone and I'm going to think about these two topics. I'm just going to sit in the dark with them mm. for a bit. And I would invite you too to have that, maybe discuss it with your birth team, to have that in your plan, that if you start feeling a little stuck, 
that maybe you can have a moment in the dark. And if you're the kind of person who wants to do it alone, then do it alone. And if you have someone come with you, make sure they know they're not supposed to say anything and just sit there and have maybe a hand on your shoulder or a hand on your leg. But having that like intentional time can be something very valuable and very precious. Because like we talked about with the Baba Yaga myth is that when you find yourself in the darkness, that's the very thing that pulls you inward. And what a powerful practice to develop for your labor is learning how to go inward. And I also think about your baby and and the womb that they have been gestating in. That's got to be a pretty dark little spot. I I have heard that some light filters in Mm -hmm. um, as they develop, but true creation begins in darkness. Yeah. You create that baby. It's in the darkness, inside the darkness of your body. There's no light in there. There's no light in there. And so when you do go into that dark space, could also be an opportunity to connect even deeper with your baby in those moments. Yes. It's like I'm coming into the darkness to find you. And Mm -hmm. I love how you ended your beautiful prose with saying you, was it, you have what it takes to bring your baby back into the light? Yeah, here it is. To birth your baby, you will journey into the darkness, dear one. But don't be afraid. You have everything you need to bring your baby back into the light. Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness, knowing we will find light.